All right, folks, we've had the first round of Democratic debates, and there are more candidates than you can shake a socialist stick at. But don't worry, I watched it so that you don't have to. We had our feature card on Wednesday night with Cory Booker, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, who I didn't even realize was actually running. I had thought it was one of those mean practical jokes because, let's face it, no one actually likes Bill de Blasio. John Delaney, no idea who he is, but apparently he was a congressman from Maryland. Tulsi Gabbard, who is big with the libertarian crowds, even though she has some pretty unlibertarian positions. Washington Governor Jay Inslee, who already is a completely unacceptable candidate in my book for his support of Washington's I-1639 gun control bill and all of the corrupt players behind it. Amy Klobuchar, Senator of Minnesota. Beto O'Rourke, whose only qualification is losing a Senate race to Ted Cruz, despite being backed by half of Hollywood, Tim Ryan of Ohio, and our heavyweight champion and media favorite, Elizabeth Warren, whom the people of Massachusetts are pretty mad at, seeing as they just re-elected her pretty much in time for her to announce her presidential run. All 10 candidates duked it out to see who could speak the worst Spanish and get the most woke points. There's plenty of money in this world. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in Thank the wrong you. hands. The TLDR version is that a bunch of people spoke Spanish, except for the guy who's actually Latino. Warren wants gun confiscation and is also pretty much the only one that ever actually answered the questions asked of her. Booker got the most airtime, and according to NBC and Fox, Trump was the winner of the debates. For the non-TLDR version, here's a recap. The first clip I'm going to show you actually came about halfway through the debate, but it's one of the ones that got the most attention, and for me, it was the most disturbing, so I am putting it right up front. The topic was guns. Now, due to technical difficulties, the moderators had to ask this question three times, and it did change a bit each time. But the question was, would Elizabeth Warren pass another assault weapons ban? And if she did, what role the government would have in getting the hundreds of millions of American guns off the streets? Not even acknowledging that those hundreds of millions of guns are largely in the hands of law-abiding gun owners. The moderator literally asked, does the government have a role in going in and actually taking the guns from people? Her answer, frankly, was chilling. Gun violence is a national health emergency in this country. We can do the things that are sensible. We can do the universal background checks. We can ban the weapons of war. Uh, you didn't address, do you, do you think the federal government needs to go and figure out a way to get the guns that are so, already out there? What I think we need to do is quickly. we need to treat it like a serious research problem, which we have not done. Okay. You know, guns in the hands of a collector who's had them for decades, who's never fired them, who takes safety right. seriously, that's very different. We have to treat it like a public health emergency. Senate. That means bring data to bear, okay. and it means make real change in this country, Thank you, whether Senator. it's politically popular or not. So guns are only okay if you've been collecting them and never fired them. Notice, she didn't exactly say, let's go confiscate guns, but she didn't say, let's not confiscate guns, and instead said that the government needs to pass legislation, even if it's unpopular. 
That is not how our legal system is supposed to work, and that's how you turn a whole bunch of law-abiding, respectful people into criminals. She says this just over 10 minutes later. We are a democracy, and the way a democracy is supposed to work is the will of the people matters. But that's for another issue. You see, democracy and the will of the people is for issues Elizabeth Warren likes, but not for guns. You always hear people saying, we don't want to take your guns, but there is a mouthpiece of the Democratic Party right here saying, I'm not opposed to taking your guns and I'm not going to deny the government's role in that whether you like it or not. Kinda sounds like she wants to take our guns. This is an urgency, and for those who have not been directly affected, they're tired of living in a country where their kids go to school to learn about reading, writing, and arithmetic, and how to deal with an active shooter in their school. How about we stop making little kids sitting ducks in gun-free zones with next to zero security, rather than punishing Americans who have never done anything wrong besides owning a tool that you don't like? Beto was asked how he would try and persuade a gun owner to vote Democrat, and he gave the same old talking points about assault weapons bans and background checks that we already have, and red flag laws, and said that every gun owner in the 254 counties in Texas agrees with him, which is statistically impossible. I look at these proposals and I say, um, does this hurt my Uncle Dick and his gear stand, coming from a proud hunting and fishing state? These proposals don't do that. Mm, her answer makes me think she either doesn't actually have an uncle in a hunting stand, or she's just pandering for votes. Maybe both. The moderators then try and change the subject, but Booker ignores the question and instead says... I'm going to use 20 of my seconds just to say there's one thing we don't all agree with when it comes to guns, and I think it's common sense, and over 70% of Americans agree with me. If you need a license to drive a car, you should need a license to buy and own a firearm. One word. Unconstitutional. Next. de Blasio jumps in, and then so does Booker, like 15 minutes after they've left the gun issue, to go back to the gun issue and talk about police reform, despite both of them running police forces with high levels of documented corruption and some pretty questionable practices. We need to start dealing with the trauma that our kids have. We need trauma-based care in, in every school. We need social and emotional learning in every school. 90% of the shooters who do school shootings come from the school they're in, and 73% of them feel shamed, traumatized, or bullied. We need to make sure that these kids feel connected to the school. That means a mental health counselor in every yeah. single school in the United States. We need to start playing offense. If our kids are so traumatized that they're getting a gun and going into our schools, we're doing something wrong too, and we need reform around trauma-based care. Actually, he's not wrong. And at least someone on this panel is acknowledging that this is a mental health issue and not a gun issue. Though, despite that, he's still on board with everything that Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker said. And I believe that on January 20th, 2021, at 12.01 p.m., we're going to have a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate. God help us all. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. On that note, let's go back to the top to see what other hoodwinks these people have planned.
The debate started out with, surprise, asking Elizabeth Warren what she'd say to the 70% of Americans who believe that the economy is doing well, and believe that all of her proposals of new taxes and free stuff would crash it into oblivion. So I think of it this way, who is this economy really working for? It's doing great for a thinner and thinner slice at the top. When you've got a government, when you've got an economy, that does great for those with money and isn't doing great for everyone else. That is corruption, pure and simple. A thin slice? I don't think that the 70% of Americans happy with the economy is a thin slice, Senator Warren, who, by the way, had an income of over $700,000 in 2018. Uh, if billionaires can pay off their yachts, students should be able to pay off their student loans. What does that have to do with anything? How about people just stop taking out debt that they can't afford to pay back? You know, like responsible adults? Some Democrats want a marginal individual tax rate of 70% on the very highest earners, those making more than $10 million a year. Would you support that? And if not, what would your top individual rate be? Necesitamos incluir cada persona en el éxito de esta economía. Pero si queremos hacer eso, necesitamos incluir cada persona en nuestra democracia. Wait, they're not even giving us subtitles? Google Translate it is. Damn it, I should have taken Spanish in high school. Okay, so according to Google Translate, this is what Beto just said. So messy families in cool you got up there Sona in Western democracies and got gullible Dante Mississippi. I feel like that's not right. Not only did he dodge the question, he did it in Spanish. So either Google is broken or this is some Peggy Hill Spanish up in here. I get the sentiment. I get that he's trying to include Spanish-speaking immigrants and look hip and cool and inclusive, but I have no idea what he just said. And like, is he even aware that not all immigrants are Spanish-speaking? I mean, half of Massachusetts alone is basically little Portugal. Uh, cada votar, ca cada votante necesitamos I can't stop looking at Cory Booker's face here. And look at Elizabeth Warren. She's so pissed that she didn't think of this first. I know a few Cherokee songs, Senator, if you're interested. Senator Warren, in particular, put out a plan to break up tech companies like Facebook, Amazon, and Google. You've said we should not, quote, be running around pointing at companies and breaking them up without any kind of process. Why do you disagree? I don't think I disagree. We have people that work full-time jobs and still can't uh, make a living wage. Uh, one of the most aggressive bills in the Senate to deal with corporate consolidation is mine about corporate consolidation in the ag sector. So I feel very strongly about the need to check the corporate consolidation and let the free market work. But free markets aren't regulated. Words mean things. And also, wasn't the question about tech companies? What's been missing is courage courage in Washington to take on the giants. That's part of the corruption in this system. It has been far too long that the monopolies have been making the campaign contributions, have been funding the super PACs, have been out there making sure that their influence is heard and felt in every single decision that gets made in Washington. Where I want to start this is I want to return government to the people. As if this woman and the Democratic Party have never taken money from corporations or utilized super PACs. <laughs> okay. 
Look, Cory Booker is like, this is gonna lose us our money. Here is where the mods ask a question about the non-existent wage gap and Tulsi Gabbard basically just says, I was in the army. Your thoughts on equal pay? Uh, I enlisted in the Army National Guard after the Al-Qaeda terror attacks on 9-11, so I could go after those who had attacked us on that day. I still serve as a major, uh, served over 16 years, deployed twice to the Middle East, and in Congress serve on the Foreign Affairs and Armed Services Committees for over six years. Well, that explains everything. I know the importance of our national security, as well as the terribly high cost of war. I mean, she's right about U.S. interventionism and the cost of war. But again, that, that, that wasn't the question. And they just move on. You're the mayor of the biggest city in the United States, but it's also one of the cities in the country with the greatest gap between the wealthy and the poor. How would you address income inequality? Well, we've been addressing income inequality in New York City by raising wages, by raising benefits, by putting money back in the hands of working people, $15 minimum wage, things that are making a huge difference in working people's lives. Well, actually, Bill, that $15 minimum wage was a kick in the teeth for your local economy. It killed job growth, decimated the restaurant industry with the worst decline since 9-11, and forced the closure of countless small businesses. This is supposed to be the party of working people. Yes, we're supposed to be for 70% tax rate on the wealthy. Yes, we're supposed to be for free college, free public college. There's plenty of money in this world. There's plenty of money in this country. It's just in Thank the wrong you. hands. Actually, this whole free college thing really wasn't that popular until the last election. But he is right about Democrats hating rich people. Democrats have hated rich people for about as long as I can remember, even though all of their politicians are rich people. And the next thing I'll do is put people to work in the jobs of the present and the future. Look at Donald Trump is simply wrong. He says wind turbines cause cancer. We know they cause jobs. Okay, pulling up Google, how stuff works. Wind turbines. <sighs> you know, there's nothing here about them causing jobs. The bottom 60% haven't seen a raise since 1980. Meanwhile, the top 1% control 90% of the wealth. According to inequality.org, the top 1% owns 40% of the country's wealth, not 90. Now let's jump over to the topic of health insurance. Many people watching at home have health insurance coverage through their employer. Who here would abolish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan? Just a show of hands to start off with. For those of you listening to the audio-only version, the only two people raising their hands are Elizabeth Warren and Bill de Blasio. According to the CDC, 70% of adults under the age of 65 have private health insurance. According to Gallup, 70% of Americans also really like their health insurance. But Elizabeth Warren doesn't care. She's all on board with the Bernie Sanders Medicare for All plan. Let me tell you, as a behavioral health provider that has worked extensively with Medicare, Medicare sucks. Amy Klobuchar is at least supporting a public option and says that she's worried about kicking half of Americans off of their insurance, which is valid. A government opt-in program would still be pretty disastrous, but at least it's better than banning private insurance altogether. The, the ability to see a mental health care provider in Texas, the single largest provider of mental health care services is the county jail system today. 
that's that's not health insurance fault. There could be a million reasons for there being a shortage in mental health therapists or clinics in Texas, but health insurance isn't one of them. To wait, wait, our ability to get wrong. everybody yeah, careful. Private insurance is not working for tens of millions of Americans. When you talk about the co-pays, the deductibles, the premiums, the out-of-pocket expenses, it's not working. <coughs> that's How right. Can you so, defend so for those for whom it's not working, they can choose Medicare. For the culinary workers in you Nevada who I listen to, who negotiated for those plans, for people, uh, they're able to keep them. Why are you defending Americans private insurance? Shut up, Bill de Blasio. No one likes you. Say they like their private health insurance, by the way. It should be noted that 100 million Americans, I mean, I think we should be the party that keeps what's working and fixes what's broken. Why do we have to stand for taking away something from people? Right now, this is the sanest guy up here. Who is he again? And also, it's bad policy. If you go to every hospital in this country and you ask them one question, which is how would it have been for you last year if every one of your bills were paid at the Medicare rate? Every single hospital administrator said they would close. And the Medicare for All bill requires payments to stay at current Medicare rates. I actually cringed when he said this, not because he's wrong, but because he's right. Medicare sucks. We've already covered that. They place an insane administrative burden on providers, insist on doing everything through paper and snail mail, are ridiculously slow, and half the time they don't even pay you. You're talking about one bill over another bill. Really what we're talking about is our objective, making sure that every single sick American in this country is able to get the health care that they need. I believe Medicare for All is the way to do that, a program that will reduce the administrative costs, reduce the bureaucratic costs, and make sure that everyone gets that quality health care that they need. Let me let you in on a little secret. Massachusetts has a huge state Medicare Medicaid program and subsidized low-income insurance. Doctors hate it. To see anyone on one of these plans, I had to do mountains of paperwork and constantly prove to the state that their care was medically necessary. I had to constantly fight for my clients. On private insurance, I send in a one-page fax every few months, maybe. Some plans, I don't have to do anything at all except a quick treatment update once a year. So you know what happened? I and most other providers in the area stopped taking these state plans. Ask any provider in Massachusetts, they will tell you these state mass health and Medicare programs are not quality care. If you look at other uh, countries in the world who have universal health care, every one of them has some form of a role of, of private insurance. I think that's what we've got to look at, taking the best of these ideas. This part, at least, she's right on, and finally someone is acknowledging that most people in these countries with universal health care still do opt in for additional private insurance. And then Cory Booker chimed in for a good few minutes about his community. My low-income community, he says, it's pretty much his answer to every question. First of all, we're talking about this as a health care issue, but in communities like mine, low-income communities, I'll tell you this. I live in a low-income black and brown community. As an African-American man in an African-American dominated community. And then a whole bunch of people chime in and try to argue about it, like an actual debate. And of course they give the most attention to Elizabeth Warren. Oh, wait, Inslee needs to jump in and say that all insurances should cover abortion. It should not be an option in the United States of America for any insurance company 
to deny women coverage for their exercise of their right of choice. So I guess the topic is switching over to abortion. Julian Castro jumps in to talk about reproductive justice, stumps a bit for trans voters and their need for abortion services, even trans people who have transitioned from male to female and don't actually have uteruses. Uh, I don't believe only in reproductive uh, freedom, I believe in reproductive justice. What that means is that just because a woman, or let's also not forget someone in the trans community, a trans female, uh, is poor, doesn't mean they shouldn't have the right to exercise that right to choose. And then tells us how he will appoint judges, all the judges, for Roe v. Wade. Senator Warren, would you put limits on, uh, any limits on abortion? I would make certain that every woman has access to the full range of reproductive health care services, and that includes birth control, it includes abortion. You get an abortion, and you get an abortion, and you get an abortion. We all get federal abortions. State after state has undermined Roe, has put in exceptions, has come right up to the edge of taking away protection. Your time is up, Senator. We What's now that? have an America where most people support Roe versus Wade. We need to make that Senator federal Yerber, law. Thank you. To my knowledge, Roe v. Wade does allow states to regulate abortion based on certain rules for each trimester. Roe v. Wade is not a catch-all decision allowing all abortions in every circumstance. Suggesting otherwise and that states are thus violating that decision is intellectually dishonest, and it's intellectually dishonest regardless of your position on abortion. This is one of the reasons why, well before I was running for president, I said I would not take contributions from pharma companies, not take contributions uh, uh, from corporate PACs or pharma executives, because they are part of this problem. <laughs> this is from Open Secrets. In 2016, pharmaceutical PACs gave $57,500 to Booker. Becton, Dickinson & Company, Bristol-Myers Squibb, and Sanofi PACs all contributed $5,000 each in 2016. Before that, in 2014, a cycle he was actually running in, Booker's campaign took in $161,000 in pharmaceutical PAC money. Pfizer contributed $17,500, Merck & Company gave $12,500, and several more gave $10,000 each. And there's also this tidbit. Throughout his Senate career, PAC contributions have played a major part in his fundraising. Since 2013, Booker's campaign has been given more than $2 million in PAC funds, particularly from business PACs, which make up almost 76% of PAC contributions in his career. So just because he says that he wouldn't take pharma and PAC money doesn't mean he won't actually take pharma and PAC money. And this opioid addiction in our country, we in cities like mine have been seeing how we've tried to arrest our way out of addiction for too long. Make the solutions that are working to actually be the law of our land and make the pharmaceutical companies that are responsible help, help for, to pay for that. Yes, the opiate epidemic is a huge issue, but forcing pharmaceutical companies to pay for rehab for heroin addicts is not how you solve the issue. Yes, the pharma companies push doctors to prescribe, but they're not the ones actually prescribing, they're not forcing anyone to take the drugs, and they're sure as hell not dealing heroin on the streets. Making them pay for addiction treatment is no different than erroneously holding gun manufacturers responsible for what people do after they buy a gun from a third party. 
It's unreasonable and unfair. What would be more reasonable is sending people to rehab instead of jail, or even just giving them the option of rehab over jail. It's working in Portugal. Tonight in this country, you have 2.3 million of our fellow Americans behind bars. It's the largest prison population on the face of the planet. Many are there for nonviolent drug crimes, including possession of marijuana at a time that more than half the states have legalized it or decriminalized it. And yet, despite what Purdue Pharma has done, their connection to the opioid crisis and the overdose deaths that we're seeing throughout this country, they've been able to act with complete impunity and pay no consequences, not a single night in jail. Okay, I agree that nonviolent offenders don't belong in jail, especially over pot. But again, how does that jump to put Big Pharma in jail for addiction? Fathers and mothers and children are dying while trying to enter the United States of America. Secretary Castro, if you were president today, oi, what would you specifically do? And if I were president today, I would sign an executive order that would get rid of Trump's zero tolerance policy. Regardless of your position on immigration, I am really sick of every president and every wannabe president rolling up and saying, I'm going to fix everything with an executive order. Executive orders are used way too often and that's not what they're for. And not for nothing, the family separation policy is not Trump's policy. And while it started during the Obama administration, it wasn't Obama's policy either. It dates back to a 2016 Ninth Circuit decision and the court battles on how, where, and if immigrant children are detained goes all the way back to the 80s. There is a lot of history to this issue that is getting ignored by pretty much everyone, which I think is even more reason as to why someone can't just hoof it to the Oval Office and executive order their way out of it. And then we go to the root cause of the issue, which is we need a Marshall Plan for Honduras and Guatemala and El Salvador so that people can find safety and opportunity at home instead of coming to the United States to seek it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The U.S. is over $20 trillion in debt. We do not need to be sending money to places and trying to fix other people's problems. Senator Booker, what would you do on day one? La situación ahora es inaceptable. Este presidente ha atacado, ha demonizado los inmigrantes. Es inaceptable. Voy a cambiar este. Ugh. Cory Booker just could not let Beto outwoke him. I don't know if it's a Cory Booker speaking bad Spanish issue or a Google Translate issue, but Google's got nothing. We're not being honest about the division that's been fomented in this country. The way that American citizens have been told that immigrants somehow created their misery and their pain and their challenges. For all the American citizens out there who feel you're falling behind, who feel the American dream's not working for you, the immigrants didn't do that to you. The big corporations did that to you. The 1% did that to you. Uh, he's right about one thing. Immigrants don't crush dreams. But neither do rich people. Government crushes dreams with taxation, overregulation, and general buffoonery, which all of these candidates support. If I could, I'm sorry. Oh, Congresista O'Rourke, ¿qué haría usted en el primer día, si usted es presidente, sobre esta realidad que está ocurriendo? Oh, did you know that Beto speaks Spanish? Vamos a tratar cada persona con el respeto y dignidad que merecen como humanos. No, no habla inglés? 
to that's laws. That's not true. And if we do that, I that's don't think not, it's asking that's too actually much not for true. people I'm to follow about, our laws when I'm they come to this I'm talking about millions country. of folks. You said recently that the reason you didn't want to repeal Section 1325 was because uh, you were concerned about human trafficking and, and drug trafficking. But let me tell you what. Section 18, uh, Title 18 of the U.S. Code, Title 21, and Title 22 already cover if human we, trafficking. This is a no I think that you should do your homework on this issue. If you did your homework on this issue, you would know that we should. Another topic now. We've got a lot to get through. Let's, let's talk. My we need to talk about. My was actually separated from his family when he we came need, to this we're country. Gonna, we're going to talk about Iran right now. Personal anecdotes make me woke. The debates then moved on to the topic of Iran. Everyone except Cory Booker was for the Iran nuclear deal, and Tulsi Gabbard is the only one that said anything anti-war. Though surprisingly, Bill de Blasio did later on stress the importance of getting congressional approval before going to war or committing acts of war, and pointed out that the last few presidents seemed to have forgotten all about that rule. What about the War Powers Act being a part of that equation with deep respect to the congressman? Look, we've learned of painful lessons as Americans that we've gone to war without congressional authorization. And look, this is very personal for me. I know the cost of war. My dad served in the Pacific in World War II, and he came home with scars, both physical and emotional, and he did not recover. He spiraled downward, and he ultimately took his own life. And that battle didn't kill him, but that war did. Democrats and Republicans, both in the Congress, have not challenged presidents and have let them get away with running the military without the congressional approval. We learned a lesson in Vietnam we seem to have forgotten. And the decisions have to be made by the United States Congress. Honestly, did not see that one coming. The other big issue for the night was, of course, climate change. We, in our administration, are going to fund resiliency in those communities, in Miami, in Houston, Texas, those places that are on the front lines of climate change today. We're going to mobilize $5 trillion in this economy over the next 10 years. We're going to free ourselves from a dependence on fossil fuels, and we're going to put farmers and ranchers in the driver's seat renewable and, and sustainable agriculture to make sure that we capture more carbon out of the air and keep more of it in the soil. Credit where credit is due. The moderators did bring up an interesting point of people feeling the government is telling them how to live their lives. But they asked Beto, who of course avoided it, in English this time, and never asked anyone else. So I guess they didn't really think it was that important. But Castro did whip back out his support for executive orders and his plan to also sign back on to the Paris Accord via executive order. Then the mods moved over to how to pay for climate mitigation, since a vast number of people in the U.S. and around the world are not fans of carbon taxes. That one also goes unanswered. About the closest we get to an answer is John Delaney jumping in to say that carbon taxes haven't worked because no one ever did it right. Those past and failed proposals weren't real carbon taxes. Now, where have we heard that before? Congressman Delaney, I'm going to get to you. This is, I introduced the only bipartisan carbon tax bill in Congress. All right. So 30 seconds really go. All the economists agree that a carbon pricing mechanism works. You just have to do it right. Things from there shift to the moderators asking why LGBT voters should trust Tulsi Gabbard given her past stances on things like gay marriage. She answers, and then Cory Booker pulls a Kanye West and tries to answer for her and talk about how he specifically stands for black trans Americans. He's the wokest with the mostest. But it's not Thank enough. You. It's Thank not you, Congresswoman. If I can add to this, Gabbard. it's very important. Oh, 30 seconds, this is not Senator. enough. Look, 
civil rights is some place to begin, but in the African-American civil rights community, another place to focus on was to stop the lynching of African-Americans. We do not talk enough about trans Americans, especially African-American trans Americans. It's not enough just to be on the Equality Act. I'm an original co-sponsor. We need to have a president that will fight to okay. protect LGBTQ Americans Thank every you. single day from violence. Thank you, Senator. Though Rachel Maddow does point out that Julian Castro gets bonus points for being Latino. Oh, and by the way, Bill de Blasio wants everyone to know that he has a black son, and so he's also part of the woke brigade. I also want to say there's something that sets me apart from all my colleagues running in this race, and that is for the last 21 years, I've been raising a black son in America. Then everyone demonstrates that they can't follow directions of giving one-word answers, and the most popularly mentioned geopolitical threat to the U.S. is named as either China or climate change, with honorable mentions of Donald Trump and Russia. And finally, that was a perfect segue to the moderators basically asking if the candidates would take legal action against Trump. The short answer was yes, because Russia. If the House chooses not to impeach, as president, would you do anything to address the potential crimes that were outlined in Mr. Mueller's report? We must begin impeachment now so that we have the facts and the truth and we follow them as far as they go and as high up as they reach and we save this democracy. And if we've not been able to do that in this year or the year that follows, and under my administration, our Department of Justice will pursue these facts and ensure that there are, account there are consequences, there is accountability, mm -hmm. and there is justice. It's the only way that we save this country. Thank you, Congressman O'Rourke. For what it's worth, Tim Ryan did try and jump in a few times and point out that the Democratic Party has careened so far off to the left and built up such a reputation for only belonging to coastal elitists, but just about every time he did this there was a collective eye roll and very much this feeling of sit down and shut up. We have a perception problem with the Democratic Party. We are not connecting to the working class people in the very states that I represent, in Ohio, in the industrial Midwest, we've lost all connection. That We have got to change the center of gravity of the Democratic Party from being coastal mm -hmm. and elital, elitist and Ivy League, which is the perception, to somebody from the forgotten communities that have been left behind for the last 30 years, to get those workers back on our side. If you want to beat Mitch McConnell, this better be a working class party if you want to go into Kentucky and take his rear end out. And if you want to take Lindsey Graham out, you got to have a blue collar party that can go into the textile communities okay. in South Carolina. Thank so you. All, I'm, all I'm saying here. Thank you, Congressman Ryan. All I'm saying here. Thank is, you, Congressman Ryan. All I'm saying is here, if we don't address that fundamental problem with our connection to workers, white, black, brown, gay, straight, working class people, thank you, none of this is going to get done, Chuck. Chuck thank, thank you very much. So that is your recap for day one of the Democratic debates. I honestly was hoping this video would be a lot shorter, but I didn't realize there would be this much material to cover. I mean, let's be real, there are a lot of ridiculous sound bites on this one that you know are going to end up in some campaign attack ad down the line. Being that this was just our feature card, I can't even begin to imagine what the lead card has in store. So be sure to check out the next video to get the scoop.
Please also like, share, and subscribe if you haven't. Make sure to ring the notification bell so that you get all of my updates, and let me know your takeaways from the debate. If you really like my channel and want to support it in other ways, you can find me over on Patreon or Subscribestar, or make a one-time donation through PayPal or crypto. This has been round one of the Democratic Debates, and I'll see you for round two.